Hey folks, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors at Clearview Community Church. I wanna thank you for taking the time to join us today. Now, how many of you have ever played with one of these? When I was a kid, we would visit my great-grandparents, and my great-grandfather had a magnifying glass on his coffee table that he would use for reading his newspaper. And as a mischievous boy, I wasn't so interested in using it for reading, but how it reacted to the sun. And I'm sure some of you have done this. If you hold the magnifying glass at just the right angle, it focuses the sun to the point where you can actually burn things and it looks something maybe like this. The same magnifying glass that can burn and destroy can also enhance or bring something into focus. Today, here's our bottom line I want you to catch. God magnifies areas of your life, not to hurt you, but ultimately to transform you. So if you have your Bible, please grab it out and turn to Luke chapter six. For those just joining us, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke in a series entitled, Investigating Jesus. At this point, Jesus has been traveling and preaching and teaching and his fame has grown. He has multitudes of people coming to hear him and he gathers his disciples and he begins to teach them what it means to live in his kingdom. So Luke chapter six, verse 37, we read, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, how many of you have ever, ever heard, uh, ever had someone rather hurt you? It's not always easy to forgive, but Jesus is saying here, and here's our first takeaway, that forgiven people should forgive. Why? I mean, what if, what if I've not done anything wrong and someone hurt me or abused me or lied about me? Why should I forgive? Well, because it would be hypocritical for us to go to God and say, hey God, I've sinned against you and I'm asking you for your forgiveness. And then when someone sins against you, you say, I'm not forgiving you. If you receive forgiveness from God, who is perfect when you wrong him, you need to be forgiving to those around us. Ephesians 4.32 says, of those who are followers of Jesus, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, People will use these verses and say things like, Jesus says you should not judge, you should forgive people. And the reality is they're using these verses as a means of justifying what they are doing. But here's the truth. There's no way of calling something right or wrong if you can't judge what is right or wrong. What Jesus is talking about is that person who lives their life as a judge. They're kind of the, the moral cop, if you will. They find fault in everyone. But to forgive someone, you have to judge them. You, you have to determine what they said or what they did was sin. We need the ability to say, you know what? That was wrong. That's unacceptable. That's sinful. And Jesus is addressing this idea of condemning. He's encouraging us to move from judging to forgiving. So let me ask you this. Who do you need to forgive? What, what did they do? See. If we don't forgive them, you'll become bitter because that's what occurs to those who are unforgiving. And I know some of you would immediately say to me, but listen, Pastor Jay, 
what they did was wrong and they never said they're sorry. How can I forgive them? Let me explain this to you. It takes one to repent and one to forgive. It actually takes two to reconcile. See, you can forgive whether or not they repent and apologize or even change, so you can forgive. But in forgiving, let me tell you this, what you're not doing, you're not approving of their action. You're not saying, I'm okay with what you did or what you failed to do. You're actually saying the opposite. Think about this. You're saying what you did was wrong, what you failed to do was wrong, and I'm choosing to forgive you. It is not denying, oh, that didn't happen. And You can forgive someone and still, listen to me, you can still call the police and have them arrested if they've committed a crime. It's not denying things. We are called to forgive, and ultimately God will judge them if they don't repent. So who do you need to forgive? I'm under no illusion that this is easy or simple. Maybe you need to pray, God, help me to forgive them. Verse 38, Jesus continues, give and it will be given to you. Here's what he's saying. If God forgives you, forgive others. If God gives to you, give to others. The second takeaway is this, getters should be givers. I know getters is probably not a word, but it works. (laughs) That's the way Jesus' followers are to live. Otherwise, we live as hypocrites, receiving forgiveness and generosity and not giving forgiveness and generosity. And I want you to catch this. Your relationship with God shows up in your relationship with others and your relationship with your finances and your relationship with your possessions. So let's unpack this a little bit because people get really weird when it comes to possessions and money. There are often two extremes when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our possessions that people take. Here's the first one. The first one is called prosperity theology, which basically says God is a pinata in the sky, and if you can give him enough of your finances, you get a big stick and you get to whack him, and you watch cars and cash fall from the sky. That's maybe my interpretation of it, but basically, it's the worship of money. It's the worship of possessions, which uses God to give us those things which are actually our idols. So if I pray, if I tithe, if I do these things, then God will bless me with possessions. Now, on the other extreme, we have something called poverty theology, where it says money is evil, so the less I have, the better and more holy that I am. And and we shouldn't really spend money, and we shouldn't really spend money on ministry, we shouldn't talk about money and we forget that God is the owner of actually everything. And here at Clearview, we don't advocate either of these positions. What we advocate is this, of working smart, working with diligence, having wisdom with our finances, and generosity with all God gives. God owns everything, and he gives to us. So everything we have is a gift, and we are to be his managers. We are to dispense or distribute the resources that God gives us in a way that glorifies him and ultimately helps those around us. See, God is a very generous giver. He gives his life, he gives us breath, he gives us talent and skills and ability. God has given us his own son who ultimately sheds his blood on the cross for our sins to save us, which is a gift. Many of you be familiar with this passage. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we hold generosity theology. As God gives to us, I give to others. I give to the poor, I give to ministry. And the attitude is not, God, how much of my money do I have to give? 
but God, how much are you calling me to be generous with? We don't live tight-fisted with our possessions, with our money. We live open-handed because everything we ultimately know comes from God. And now Jesus continues and he uses this analogy. He says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What does he mean by this? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever purchased a bag of chips and you're all excited to go home and it's movie night, you're ready to demolish that bag of chips and watch a movie and you open it, mmm, you smell it, sweet chili heat Doritos, but you look at it and you say, huh, the chips are in the bottom, what is the rest? The rest is filled with air. You feel cheated, you feel lied to. Well, in the culture that Jesus is teaching, when you would buy grain, you would take your container to the market and you would say, okay, can you fill it up with grain? And they'd fill it up and they'd say, okay, now pay me the money. And you'd say, no, 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 I want you to shake it down a little bit, push it down a little bit and let it settle. Put some more in there and then shake it up again and push it down and let it settle. And eventually, when it was totally full, then, then I'll pay you. But until then, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a bag of chips. <laughs> and what Jesus is talking about here is if you are generous, if you are a generous giver, God may look at you and see that you are, you are a conduit, you are faithful, and he, you pass generosity to others. So he provides and he overflows, not so you can have more to line your pockets, but so you can be more generous. Here's the point. If you are a follower of Jesus, everything you have received is a gift from God. We need to understand that. So what do we do? We give. So forgiven people should forgive and getters should be givers. Our third takeaway today is this. Leaders should examine themselves. Now, some of you, when I say leaders, would immediately say, well, I'm not a leader. Listen, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, you're leading. If you're a coach, you're leading. If you are a teacher, you are leading. If you are a husband, a wife, a grandma, a grandpa, an aunt, or uncle, you're leading. Everybody's leading someone. Everybody's teaching someone. And before we can teach anyone or lead anyone, we need to lead ourselves. Verse 39, Jesus continues. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Well, technically, yes, but it's going to go real bad. Will they not fall into a pit? Yes, maybe not right away, but eventually. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, when I was 19, I worked in a factory and one day I was packing boxes and I had something get into my eye and I'm sure everyone can relate to having an irritant in your eye. I couldn't get it out. In fact, I went to the eye wash station with the supervisor and we tried to flush it out. We couldn't get it out. I had to actually go to the hospital. They looked into my eye and even the doctor said to me, there's nothing there. I can't find anything. But you and I both know, when there's something in your eye, you know it's there. 
So I went back to work actually. An hour later, I was blinking and my eye was watering and this piece of cardboard came out of my eye. Here's what Jesus is saying. Sometimes with good intention, we come along and we point out the dust or the, this eyelash, if you will, in someone else's eye. I'm not sure if you noticed that, but ha you have a little something right there. This area of your life that needs some addressing. You look at them and you think, thanks for the advice, but you have uh, a two by four sticking out of your face. Jesus is saying, if we are not careful in our attempts to lead others, we are hypocrites, we are blind guides. A blind man cannot show the way to another blind man. Both the leader and the one being led will fall into a pit, Jesus says. The truth is, to some degree, most of us can be blind to our own blindness. But Jesus says, be careful. Do not be a hypocrite. Now, what is the definition of a hypocrite according to Jesus here? You've got this issue in your life and you're gossiping and judging and nitpicking someone else who's got a maybe a smaller dust issue in their life. Jesus says, you can't deal with anyone else until someone helps you and you remove the two by four in your own face. The reality is it's easier to see sin in someone else's life than it is your own. It is easier to tell them what to do than to be humble about yourself. So before you start telling people what to do with their lives, you got to do some self-reflection. You've got to deal with your own stuff, the lumber in your eye. Now, does that mean we need to be perfect before we can correct anyone or lead them? Not at all, thank goodness, because if that was the case, stop listening right now, because I am not a perfect man. Jesus is saying we are often more aware of everyone else's sin and far less aware of our own sin in our own lives. And as I'm saying this, listen, I want you to be careful. Don't be thinking about your friend, oh, you know what? It'd be great for them to hear this sermon. This is a good sermon for them. First things first, before you counsel anyone, before you attempt to lead someone, deal with your own stuff. See, leaders should first examine themselves. Now, as we kind of wrap up today, many people will read these passages and feel the weight of Jesus' teaching. But in doing so, they can then see God as this kid, this kid on the anthill with this magnifying glass. If you don't forgive, you don't forgive as you be forgiven, you've been forgiven, you won't be forgiven by God. So zap, if you judge, you know, you're gonna be judged, zap. If you're not generous, zap. God is just waiting for us to mess up so he can judge us. But I want you to catch this. The function of a magnifying glass is not destruction. That is actually kind of a misuse of its function. The purpose of the magnifying glass is to reveal things, to assist in seeing things that otherwise would be overlooked and not recognized. See, Jesus is showing his followers how we ought to live in relationship with God and those around us. He is magnifying how important forgiveness is, so forgiven people should forgive. He is magnifying the importance of generosity, so getters should be givers. He is magnifying the importance of repentance and self-examination. So leaders should first examine themselves. In doing so, he is magnifying our inability to perform all these things, our inability to live this out. And if we are, if we are careful, 
it leads us, if we're not careful, it leads us to grief and despair and religious legalism. And Jesus wants those listening in this moment to realize that no matter how righteous they are, no matter how well they keep the religious rules, we fall short of God's standard. God magnifies areas of your life, once again, not to hurt you, but to transform you to lead us to repentance and faith in him. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians 3, 9. I no longer count on my own righteousness, my own goodness, my own effort, my own good deeds through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous or right with God through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So I want you to understand this. When you become a follower of Jesus, God takes out your broken heart, the heart that is unable to forgive, the heart that doesn't want to live open-handed and generous, the heart that would rather point out others' problems instead of examining yourself. He removes that heart and he gives you a new heart, a heart that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, Christianity says, God changed me at the deepest level. So God doesn't just tell us what to do, he lives a life through us, and it all starts with coming to Jesus. So if you're listening today, and you are not a follower of Jesus, and you would say, I don't know how to get my life together. I don't know how to forgive. I don't know how to live like this. What you need is to come to Jesus. If you're trying to figure out how to get your life together, let's not worry about your behavior right now. Let's get you connected to Jesus, and he'll change you from the inside out, instead of trying to make behavior adjustments from the outside in. That is not the way of Jesus. First, you give your life over to Jesus, your sin to Jesus. He died for that. He rose for that. You receive a new life that he gives. You repent. You turn from the life without Jesus, and now you believe, you place your faith in Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, let me ask you, what has the Holy Spirit highlighted? Maybe today, maybe in this moment, who do you need to forgive? How is your financial giving? How are you living with your possessions? What is the log in your eye? What truth do you need to learn or obedience you need to enact on? What is the Holy Spirit magnifying right now in your life? Maybe you have been trying on your own to live a good Christian life. Listen to me, I want you to catch this. See, we take Jesus for salvation, but we then attempt human effort for our daily improvement. That is not what it means to follow Jesus. See, God magnifies areas of your life, not to hurt you, but to transform you. He does this through Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. So I would encourage you, our goal is to come alongside you. Our heart is to serve you, to get you plugged into community. So I would encourage you to reach out to us we love you and would love to connect with you. We want to live lives following Jesus together. Why don't you just join with me as we pray? Jesus, I thank you that you love us and you are patient with us. God, I pray that we would forgive and we would be givers and we would lead well. I pray for those who have not turned to you or given their lives to you. If that is you and you're listening today, I wanna to encourage you in this moment, you can repent, you turn to Jesus and believe in him. Holy Spirit, help us to be people that live lives that reflect you, 
that we would not feel discouraged by this message, but compelled to receive your grace as you magnify areas that need correction. That we would welcome you to transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, my friends. Please, once again, reach out to us if you have any questions. We would love to connect with you. Take care.